0: This podcast is an audio recording of a live event. It may reference visual material that cannot be represented in this recording. It may also contain strong language and adult themes. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of Acme. Hi, can you hear me properly? So I'm, I'm quite short, so I never really know if I'm at the right height for the microphone or not. So, um, today I'll be talking just a little bit about. Thank you. Five foot two. So, I'll be talking just a little bit about a small part of my master's research. Um, So, as Angela mentioned, my project is about David Bowie, Mark Bolan of T Rex, and Buck concept of the carnivalesque in relation to 1970s Britain. Um, So, the idea of the carnivalesque is that in the medieval pre-Lenten carnival, the lower classes were able to let off some steam and rebel against the official culture and institutions. Um, And the carnivalesque, it has been said, was at its most potent during turning points in history or moments of social crisis. Glam rock, then, could be said to be the carnival of 1970s Britain. One part of my research is about the way that David Bowie transgressed conventional norms of gender and sexuality. And today I'll try to convince, uh, try to condense that to just a few key points. Um, And I'll focus in particular on just a few key moments that you're probably all quite familiar with. Um, There isn't time in the 15 minutes obviously to highlight everything, so please forgive me if I miss out what might be a key moment for you personally, and I'm sure that you do have, you know, key moments of your own. So I'll start out by giving some cultural context, and then I'll move on to talk about some examples. Now, yesterday, um, Dr. Ian Chapman gave an excellent account of what life was like in New Zealand in the 1970s, and today I'll come in from a different angle, um, which is Britain in the 1970s. So the 1970s, and particularly the early 1970s, has been characterised as a moment of cultural transition, signalling a shift of values in what Forster and Harper see as a period of social transformation and fragmentation. In Britain, it was a time of rising unemployment, declining consumer buoyancy, strikes, power cuts, and Irish political unrest, with IRA bombings in parts of London. It was also a time of conflicting attitudes to sexuality, gender, and in particular, masculinity. British society was predominantly conservative in regard to all of these, but at the same time there was a growing undercurrent of change, and David Bowie was a key figure in transgressing the conventional norms. Hunt notes the relationship between the 1970s crisis of masculinity and the emergence of glam rock. He notes that glam was the most obvious popular articulation of codes of masculinity in a limited state of flux. In 1967, the Sexual Offences Act had decriminalized homosexuality in England. This law change made homosexuality legal for people over 21 years old and any homosexual acts were to happen in private and between only two people. (laughs) Despite the change in legislation, British popular media showed that predominant attitudes were still conservative. So the 1970s depictions of homosexuality in British popular media tended to be either comedic, heteronormative, or ignored altogether. So comedic examples include TV shows like Are You Being Served? The Dick Emery Show and It Ain't Half Hot Mum. Robin's Nest is a particularly heteronormative example of comedy so we have Robin Tripp who's flatting, he's a straight guy flatting with two young, quite attractive women um, and the only reason that he's allowed to flight with these two women is by pretending that he's gay. So there are a whole lot of gay jokes going on in that series, um, which are basically heteronormative in their nature. Um, in the world of music, glam bands like The Sweet dressed androgynously. But even so, their androgyny was on the butch comedic end of the spectrum, making it also essentially heteronormative. So if you watch any of The Sweet's performances on Top of the Pops, for example, you'll see that their androgyny was particularly jokey. So in this context, David Bowie's depiction of androgyny and homosexual acts breaks the taboos of those conservative heteronormative values. That is, it's not contained by comedic laughter that either objectifies or makes the transgression safe for public consumption. It's hence more direct, shocking, transgressive, eroticized, and troubling to British 1970s sexual mores. To highlight this, we can look at some key moments in Bowie's early 1970s career, including his live performance on the 1973 Ziggy Stardust tour. Bowie's transgression of these conventional norms functions as a carnivalesque expression of sexuality, representing a sexual other at a time when the other represented both a challenge to and escape from the increasingly unpalatable conditions of everyday British life. In Rabelais and His World, Bakhtin describes the defining features of the medieval pre-Lenten carnival. It was a world upside down where power relations are inverted and gender roles reversed. Gardner argues that Bakhtin's utopian carnival space is a critical counter-hegemonic space. That is, an alternate reality encompassing transgressive potentialities that articulate resistance to the dominant societal and institutional conditions and power relations. So if we think of Bowie's 1970s sci-fi androgynous otherworld as a carnivalesque space, then the character of Ziggy Stardust is the carnival mask that reverses the everyday heteronormative power relations and gender roles. The alien body in Bowie's work then signifies an otherworldliness in terms of time and space and a transgressive otherness. In the context of a still very conservative Britain, Ziggy Stardust's gender bending polysexualism brought homosexuality, bisexuality, and cross dressing to the fore of popular culture. At the same time, emphasizing the alien, still relatively unspoken nature of such practices in conservative society. In other words, Bowie's Ziggy Stardust sets forth a critique of conservative sexual values. As the alien and the erotic merge in Bowie's world, we're presented with a sexual other, a sexuality that is strange and unknowable. On the LP cover image of Diamond Dogs, he's depicted as half man, half dog, completely unclothed, and background fairground signage with the words the world's strangest curiosities. Collectively, these signs and symbols indicate the freak, the somehow abnormal, the hybrid, and the liminal. In effect, the strange alien body that is also linked with the sexual, or in Buckteen's terms, with the lower bodily stratum. So what could be represented on British television in the 1970s did not include such depictions of nudity. In fact, what was considered shocking for television was considerably more mild. And it's great that we've actually had a look at the clip of Starman from Top of the Pops this morning because I don't have the clip to show. We do have a really nice gif though. So, though on film, Mick Jagger's character in the movie performance was androgynous, bisexual and clearly living a libertine lifestyle. Bowie's relatively mild 1972 performance of Starman on Top of the Pops was groundbreaking in terms of television. It's noted for the moment when Bowie puts his arm around guitarist Mick Ronson, a gesture which, for its time, was coded as deliberately homosexual. The fact that audiences nowadays might barely notice this coding, or perhaps even miss it altogether, is telling in terms of just how conservative the 1970s still were in regard to which gestures and which acts were considered to be shocking. And so, when on tour as Ziggy Stardust, Bowie did not just put his arm around Ronson, but routinely simulated fellatio on his guitarist as part of the onstage performance, we can see that this move from coded gestures to the open depiction of a sexual act was especially transgressive. This moment of onstage fellatio is well documented and often talked about, but beyond this, what of the moment where Bowie goes even further, simulating actual penetrative sex? So, the performance of Time on the Ziggy Stardust tour is even more telling of a moment of cultural transition breaking taboos around the depiction of an eroticized homosexual body and even more so the depiction of homosexual acts, acts which by law were only to happen in private, as I said. Throughout the 1973 Ziggy Stardust concert film, there are striking moments of the blurring of conventional distinctions of gender and sexuality through Bowie's costuming and mannerisms, which are not just feminised, but more importantly, eroticized. During the show Bowie takes the role of a lounge singer channeling Marlena Dietrich to perform Time. Emotively he brings one hand to the feather boa and then suggestively glides his hand downwards. Half kneeling as he sings the line falls wanking to the floor. As he does so he undercuts the glamour of the boa and his feminized gestures with the use of a blunt colloquialism. The effect of this is both eroticized and, within a social context of still relatively conservative sexual mores, an expression of subversive sexuality. Bowie in the role of Ziggy, who is now in the role of a a female nightclub singer, approximates the masturbatory actions of a male, putting up for public display a confoundingly ambiguous transsexual act of sexual bodily function. Furthermore, Adding to the complexity of this ambiguity, Bowie has taken Dietrich's gender reversal and turned it back on itself. In doing so, he thus makes reference to his own sexual ambiguity within the moment of sexual ambiguity itself. In the climax to the song, Mick Ronson launches into the song's guitar solo. He pounces at Bowie, who lands on his front outstretched on the stage, Bronson mounts him from behind, pinning him down with his legs as he continues with the guitar solo. This guitar solo, make no mistake, stands in for the penetrative act. Auslander has made mention of whether this sequence depicts consensual sex or a rape. I posit that, given Bowie's facial expressions and cat-like physical gestures, that this sequence alludes to a sexual act between animals, especially given Bowie's cat-like manner of walking around the stage just previous to this display. Whether this is to be construed as a depiction of consensual or non-consensual domination is open to question. Either way, the dynamics here are both ambiguous and potentially troubling, and either way, clearly transgressive. The closing of the concert after Bowie's exit from the stage, a soundtrack by Edward Elgar's Pomp and Circumstance, which gives a sense of theatrical high culture and occasion, and a sense of irony. This classical piece is also widely known as the musical accompaniment to Land of Hope and Glory, a traditional British patriotic piece. It's also traditionally the final song of the last night of the proms. It evokes connotations of patriotism, high culture, and occasion, But given the dire social and economic circumstances of England at the time, this particular use of the song takes on an ironic sense of impotence. Although its performance in the show is instrumental, the song's lyrics, God who made them mighty, make them mightier yet, speak of a traditional and strong England that by now had long gone. And along with it, so too were disappearing its traditional distinctions and now depictions of gender and sexuality, with David Bowie at the forefront. Thank you. You have been listening to an ACME podcast. For more recordings, go to soundcloudcom online or the ACME website.